Uh, this is week two in our series called Naturally Supernatural. And last Sunday, I argued that uh, the risen Christ fills the entire universe. We also learned that the risen Christ loves to fill his church, and he loves to fill us individually, empowering our character to do fresh and new things. This morning, we want to talk about what it means to walk in awareness of that fullness, walking in awareness of his activity in our life. So um, if you've got a Bible, please turn to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. We'll get there in just a moment. Now, to begin with, I want to tell you a little secret about our marriage. Um, Sometimes in the morning, I'll be down in the kitchen making my morning smoothie, minding my own business, when my wife will sneak up behind me, grab me, and go, ha, scared you. Or sometimes I'll be walking uh, up the stairs, going to our bedroom, and she'll be behind a door, and she'll grab me, surprise me, ha, I got you again. Turn to the dog and say, I got him, I got him. Now, it's all very mischievous, and it's all, it's, it's all in fun, but I kind of deserve it because I love to listen to books. And so many times, you know, I've, I've got those iPhone, iPod pods in my ears, and I'm listening, and I get pretty intent when I'm listening. I mean, if I'm listening to a novel, you know, I may be fast roping with the Navy SEALs down onto a, to a ship, or if I'm listening to nonfiction, you know, I'm, I'm taking mental notes, and so I'm walking around the house, not being very aware, being clueless, and so I'm a sitting duck for my wife's pranks. I deserve it. But here's the thing. Lately, I've been jumpy. I've been jumpy because I've, I've, I, I keep looking around, you know, is she, is she back there? Or I'm, I'm looking around corners, you know, to see if she's back there. I'm walking in awareness as opposed to cluelessness. And I, I will tell you, the same thing can happen in your relationship with God. It's very easy to be either more aware of His activity in your life or less aware of His activity in your life. Now, God loves you. He demonstrated that love by Jesus coming to earth and rising from the dead. He loves you because He abides with you. The Spirit is inside you. The love of the Father is poured out on you, and it is possible to live and a very intentional love relationship with the God of the universe. And that is going to include Him giving you nudgings and promptings and leadings and guidings. Now, I will tell you that there is a strain of the Christian faith that says, you know, awareness is not really that big a deal. I mean, God has given us His His eternal and errant word. All you need is His word. You don't need anything subjective. And their approach to the Christian faith is primarily an intellectual approach to the Christian faith, a rational approach to the Christian faith, and they don't take into account the subjective side of it. Here's the problem. The problem is the biblical authors model the subjective side all the time. So you go into the book of Psalms, and you see what the psalmists are saying about their relationship with God. Psalm 73 is a case in point. There are other psalms as well how they're sensing the movement of God in their life, and they're responding to that movement. They love the Word, but there's a subjective side to their faith that they wonderfully model in the Psalms. So the Bible gives us some guidelines for how we can live in the awareness of the activity of God in our life. What we're going to do as we study this is we're going to look, first of all, at the Old Testament, at Habakkuk, 
Then we're going to look at the New Testament at 1 Corinthians 14, and I'll conclude with some takeaways. But we'll begin with the Old Testament perspective, and this is kind of fun. The prophet Habakkuk is a wonderful example of watchfulness. We took a quick look at Habakkuk in our series on gratitude a couple of months ago. So we're going to look at him just briefly again. Habakkuk, if you're not familiar with him, is one of the 12 minor prophets. Habakkuk writes the 35th book of the Old Testament, and he's very concerned about what he sees prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. And so as he's praying and as he's, as he's praying uh, to, to God, he's saying, God, I, I pray to you all the time that there would be revival in our nation. I see idolatry. I see immorality. I see all these bad things happening in our nation. What I really want is for you to intervene and give us revival. Give us renewal. Please do that. I keep praying, God, and you don't answer that prayer. And I'm concerned about that. Why aren't you answering my prayers? God answers Habakkuk in a way that shocks him. He says, Habakkuk, I'm doing something in your day that is flat out amazing. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. I'm raising up their war machine. That war machine is going to race through the entire region, and it's going to come to Jerusalem, and I'm going to send them around Jerusalem. They're going to besiege Jerusalem, and you're going to be taken away into exile. Habakkuk says, God, are you not holy? Are you not righteous? How could you do that? Do you not realize these people are idolaters? How could you possibly send them to judge us? And Habakkuk realized, man, I'm, I'm in big trouble now because I, I have spoken out against God. So Habakkuk does this in Habakkuk 2.1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post I will station myself on the tower, and I will look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is a wonderful word picture that is, that is contained here. In the ancient world, every city city, most cities were city-states, and all city-states had a tower on one of the four corners, maybe sometimes on all four corners. The tower was about 70 feet high. And the watchman on the tower could scan the entire horizon and see what was going on all around him. If an army was coming, he would scan for the army. If a lone traveler was in trouble and coming, he could scan for the lone traveler. If, if craftsmen and tradesmen were coming, he could see what was going on. So the tower in the ancient world was the equivalent to the ubiquitous cameras all over modern cities, London, Chicago, New York, Detroit, L.A., and so you'd get on top of that watchtower and you would scan the horizon to see what was about ready to come. Now, can you imagine Habakkuk on his watchtower? Is it really a literal watchtower? No. Habakkuk does not work for the king as a watchman. He does not get a check from Israel for his watchman's duties. Habakkuk is thinking about a metaphorical watchtower. He's a prophet. So what he's thinking is, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get in my metaphorical watchtower and I'm going to be really aware of what's happening spiritually in Jerusalem, what's happening spiritually in Israel. I'm going to discern what's going on. I'm going to read the environment. I'm going to discern what's happening and I'm going to then be better prepared to be a leader as opposed to being clueless about what's going on. 
So he's, he's in a, a metaphorical watchtower. Now, this is brought forward in the New Testament in some really wonderful ways. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Notice what alertness means here. Alertness, you know, is alertness with perseverance. No, it's alertness with all perseverance. He's talking about a very attentive alertness to what God is doing in the surrounding area. We see the same thing in Acts 20, 31. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul is almost saying, look, you saw I was alert for three years. I want you to be alert, just like I was. And then we see in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, he says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. He's saying, look, I want you to be strong, and in your strength, I want you to have a spiritual alertness about you that allows you to sustain that strength. And then we go to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. You know, it's possible to be alert with discouragement, alert with cynicism, alert with depression, because you look around you, you see things are bad, and I'm cynical about the badness. I'm discouraged about how things are falling apart. He says, no, don't, don't do that. As you're watching and scanning what God is doing, be thankful because you know that he's in control. And then the next one, 1 Peter 5, 8, we saw this in our series in 1 Peter, be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The idea is that you got to be watchful because you have a spiritual adversary who wants to tear you down. So we see this strain in the New Testament that is precisely what Habakkuk is modeling in the Old Testament. If I could sum up these five prayers, I can say this. Our metaphorical watchtower is a kind of prayer called alert prayer. An alert prayer looks like this. Alert prayer is as we pray, we watch for what God might be doing around us. Are we going to be totally sure that we know what he's doing? Maybe not. But we're scanning with spiritual eyes, seeking to be alert for what God is doing around us. And simultaneously, we discern what he might want us to do or how he might want us to pray. It's the kind of prayer that is in a very alert sort of a prayer. You're scanning the environment. You're discerning. You're looking. You're pausing. You're praying. What is God doing? And how do I enter into this kind of thing that he wants me to do? Now, let me illustrate it for you this way, because you parents know what this is like. You have a, a young infant, and you're alert. How's my young infant doing? Is she fussing? Does, is she hungry? Is there a little diaper rash that I need to take care of? You're alert to all the needs of that young infant because that young infant can't say what's going on. Or what happens if you have young kids in the house and suddenly it gets very quiet in the other room? Do you assume good things are happening? No. You assume something bad is happening. 
You're alert to what's happening. If you see a teenager, and that teenager, who's normally very upbeat, is grumpy and angry and withdrawn, you think, okay, something's happening. I wonder what's, what's going on. You can't ask directly because they'll say, oh, nothing, nothing. You have to be indirect. So we do this all the time. We scan the horizon to try to figure out what's going on, and then we discern what's taking place. Now, let's go back to Habakkuk. How do you do this? Like, how, how do you get into that kind of posture? Well, Habakkuk models that for us in Habakkuk 2, verse 4. God is speaking, and God says, look at the proud. And he's talking about the Babylonians who are going to come. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But those who are right with God will live by faith. This is a wonderful little verse, because this verse is one of those incredibly strategic verses that is given to us in an incredibly minor book. And so this verse is picked up in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. It's like a really important principle. People who are right with God are people who are learning to live by faith. And if you're going to receive uh, a discerning spirit from God, a spirit that can discern the signs of the times, that means that you are aggressively seeking to live and to walk by faith. So Habakkuk epitomizes the identity of an alert believer. He is a watchman. And people who are living in the fullness of Christ are learning how to be watchmen and watch persons, women, it's, who are hard to say that because the only people in the Old Testament who were watchmen were men. Okay, so anyway, so let me tell you how this applied to us back in 2003. East-West Ministries, a parachurch organization working in Russia, came to our elders and said, would Grace Community Church help us train pastors in Russia? We had a relationship with some pastors in Russia. We listened to what he had to say. We prayed over it. We said, yeah, we think we'd like to do that. So I was prepared to go off and, and do that. I boarded the plane about halfway across the Atlantic. I had this overwhelming impression that this was not what Grace Community Church should do. I spent the entire week in Russia. It was a wonderful week. We dedicated two churches that we helped to build. But I spent the entire week kind of discerning, Lord, what are you doing here? And what would you have us to do? I got done with the second day of the training, and I said to myself, self, God speaking, and this is not what Grace Community Church should do. Went back to the elders, and the elders said, oh, look, that's, how, that's what you think. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go with that. We decided to invest all of our efforts in Cuba. So fast forward 18 years. We've been in Cuba for 18 years. The people that I met down in Cuba in 2005, or 2003, we are still partnering with most of those people. And those partnerships are flourishing. And by God's grace, we've seen 200 churches get planted. All of those partners we had in Russia, we don't know where they are. Some of, the, some of them moved. Some did other things. Some came to America. And so God gave me this impression. I prayed into that impression and looking from hindsight, God was really, really good to do that for us because it changed the trajectory of how we do missions at Grace. So you might think, well, okay, so that only happens with churches and with pastors, right? No. 
No, because I've talked to scores of businessmen and businesswomen who shared similar stories. They were praying about their business. They, were got, they got an impression that they thought was from God. They prayed into that impression. They sought out wisdom, maybe from a, an accountant, a, an attorney, a partner, a friend. And they made a business decision that resulted in maybe the acquisition of a new client. Maybe a new product line was developed. Maybe a new research associate was hired. Maybe they decided to accept a transfer or refuse a transfer. And they, they look back at that event and they say, man, God led me, God led us through prayer and through some impressions that came as we were praying into a business decision. What I'm saying is the God who fills everything with himself, Jesus Christ, he loves to interact with you and give you impressions about what's happening in the atmosphere around you. You pray into that and you make decisions. So let's move to the New Testament. <clears throat> the New Testament picture is a little bit different. It's consistent, but it's a little bit different. And <clears throat> um, the awareness in the New Testament is called the spiritual discipline or the gift of prophecy. Now, let me, let's drill down into, into, into this a little bit. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 3. Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in Christ. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is a spiritual gift and it's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual gift given to some. It's a spiritual discipline available to all. So it's both a gift and it's a discipline. Let me give you a more precise definition. Here it is. The prophecy is the act of receiving a strong impression from God along with the urgency to do something about it. It's the act of receiving an impression, maybe through prayer, maybe through time in the Word. You receive that impression, and then you feel this urgency to, to do something about that. That might include prayer, it might include action, it might include service, but it's an impression along with a sense of, of urgency. Let me give you some examples. One time, a number of years ago, I was at Food Pyramid, and out of the blue, the name of a couple in our church came into my head. I immediately got my, my phone, I texted them and said, how are you doing? Got a text immediately back. My wife is in the hospital. She hurt her leg. We're in the I think it was the ER. Well, where'd that impression come from? <laughs> I mean, it came like right out of the blue, but it gave me an opportunity to connect in the moment with that couple. A while back, I was praying for my oldest daughter, felt an urgency to write her a handwritten note and buy her a gift card that would come to her separately. One day, I got this text saying, I love being your daughter. The timing on your card and your gift were great. I was discouraged. I really needed that today. Okay, so in the post office, 
I got the impression, wrote the card, the post office got it there the exact day that it, that it was needed. Where did that impression come from? Well, in hindsight, it's easy for me to say that that impression came from the Lord. I was in a coaching session with an accountant down in Tulsa. We were going through the Berkman assessment. As we're going through that assessment, I got this very strong impression that I should propose to him something that might be sort of risky. I hesitated a little bit. All right, Lord. I shared it, and as soon as I shared it, he brightened up and he said, I'm so glad you said that. That's exactly the kind of thing I've been thinking about. Thank you for mentioning what you mentioned. So at the core, the New Testament gift, the discipline of prophecy is a willingness to be open to and to receive a strong impression from God based upon your alertness, and you're moved with a sense of urgency to take action. But here's the thing to remember. This impression never comes with the authority of thus says the Lord. It never comes with that authority. You always have to embrace it and communicate it with a sense of humility. Here's another important thing to remember about the discipline. When the impression comes, it generally comes with a burden. There's a burden to do something in the moment. Maybe the burden is simply to pray. Maybe the burden is to take action. Maybe the burden happens like in the spur of the moment. So recently, Cindy was, was heading down to Seattle to take care of two of our grandchildren while our daughter and son-in-law and three grandchildren went on a mission trip. And so her flight got canceled from Tulsa to Dallas, and she said, Rod, what do you want me to do? Take my car or your car? And it, we had to make the decision like spur the moment, spur the moment, quick prayer, God, my car, her car, strong impression, your car. And it was a good thing because two days later, her car died a spectacular death, <laughs> spectacular. It was an old car had well over 160,000 miles on it. Died a spectacular death. And I, I kind of, I thought, okay, you know, she would probably have been on the Indian Nations Parkway going down. She would have missed her flight, meaning our kids would have missed their flight. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that strong impression in the moment. I know Christian leaders, again, who uh, strenuously object to this idea that you can receive impressions from God. Like, they object to that. And, and so they, they say, why do you need God's impressions when you have His Word? Like, what's the point? And I can answer that in one word. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. So Cindy and I have been married for, for 40 years, and after you've been married for 40 years, as you know, who've been married for a long time, you discern little nuances of your spouse's facial expressions, tone of voice. I've told you this before, but I can be at a restaurant meeting with somebody, and Cindy will be at the same restaurant meeting with somebody else, and if she coughs, I go, oh, my wife's in the restaurant. Like, how does that happen? We've been married for 40 years, right? So you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, Christ abides with you, the Father loves you, and we are commanded to live in a first love relationship with the God of the universe. Why would He not give you leadings, promptings, 
nudgings, and guidance as an expression of that love. Well, he, 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 he does that. And let me just point out the fact that in marriage, you know, there is a business side and a subjective emotional side. Both happen in marriage, ideally. So for Cindy and I, you know, we, we have that business side. We own real estate. We have goals that mean we plan trips to see our grandkids. We have things that we do that are business-oriented, just like all of you. We also have that emotional side. We hang out together and enjoy each other's company. Same way with you and God. You know, you have God's Word. His Word is foundational to your, to your life. You also have the Holy Spirit. And the nudgings and promptings of the Spirit are also crucial to your life. Here's another objection that I often hear to this. The New Testament definition of prophecy seems totally different than the Old Testament definition. That doesn't seem right. Like, how do you square those together? Well, here's how, here's how this works. The Old Testament prophets held an official office in Israel's leadership structure. There was prophet, priest, and king. And the role of the prophet was to be God's mouthpiece to the king. So the idea was that the prophet received direct revelation from God. He then spoke that direct revelation to the king or into God's word that he was writing. And he had to be 100% right. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, you see the consequences of getting a prophecy wrong. It was severe. You got killed. You got killed by stoning. So if I gave a prophecy, thus says the Lord, and it was wrong, boom, I get killed. Okay? That's how important it was that the Old Testament office of prophet got it right. Now, um, the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament prophetic office is apostleship, where the apostles penned scripture. They penned revelation from God. Paul pens scripture. Luke, Peter, James, and John pen scripture. There are nine New Testament authors. These apostles who penned scripture penned an errant, authoritative revelation from God. So the Old Testament office of apostle is equivalent to the New Testament I'm sorry, Old Testament office of prophet is equivalent to the New Testament office of apostles. So New Testament prophecy, same word, but totally different from the Old Testament kind. The Old Testament kind, the New Testament kind consists of impressions consistent with Scripture. The Old Testament is authoritative communication that became Scripture. Same word, two different ways that it works. So what should I do if I receive a strong impression from God that might be from God? You test it. You test it. So Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 22. Don't despise prophecies. Some of the older versions say, don't despise prophetic utterances. Somebody would be in a small group and they would sense an impression from God and they would deliver that impression. And Paul says, don't despise that when that happens. No, don't, don't despise it. But test it. Test the things that you hear. Hold fast to those prophecies that are good. Abstain from any prophetic word that might seem wrong. So the idea is that I get an impression from God, okay, I'm going to test that to see 
if that's really from God. Now, what that tells me is that if I'm going to learn to use prophetic words, I might make some mistakes. I might have to learn through some mistakes. I might have to learn by maybe getting it wrong a couple of times before I learn how to hear God the right way. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have said that in that, in that verse. So the idea is that if I receive an impression from God, I'm going to, to test that. So if I, if I receive something, I, I'm, I better say it in a lot of humility, right? I better not say, thus says the Lord. I, I better in humility say, I'm sensing this. Does, does this sort of thing fit? One time I was praying with somebody in one of our healing prayer sessions, and I got a distinct impression that made me uncomfortable. The impression was that this family was in an old three-masted ship in a storm, going up and down the waves. The wood of the hull was creaking with every up and down of the wave. The wind was, was whipping through the rigging, and the rigging was, was whistling and making a big racket. I thought, I'm not going to share that with this guy. That's embarrassing. But I did. And when I did, the husband teared up. He said, oh, man, that is exactly what I'm feeling, exactly what I'm feeling. And the way he described it describes the anxiety that's present in our family to the T. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was learning. I was learning to go with an impression that, you know, might, might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I was learning in the process. So it's important that we, that we grow and learn. You, you might not get it perfect the first time that you do this. So let me, let me draw these ideas together. The New Testament discipline of prophecy is the habit of being alert and aware of the circumstances around you. You are looking at life from a discerning standpoint. The willingness then to notice something that God might be doing in those circumstances. Do you know that for sure? No, you're, you're discerning this. You're testing this as a follower of, of Jesus. And then it's the impulse to do something about it. Sometimes you communicate. Sometimes you pray. Sometimes you serve. Sometimes, sometimes prayer is the best thing you can do because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. So if I get a, an impression from God and I think I feel an urgency to do something about this and God may say no, I'm not going to do anything about it except pray and pray that God would do something in this situation that is consistent with, with his will. So let me, let, me, let me kind of back up a little bit and recap. The risen Jesus fills everything. We saw that last week. He fills everything from all space on planet Earth to the space in the solar system, the contemporaneous presence of God is everywhere at once. And that God who's everywhere at once dwells with you, and He loves to love you by giving you impressions about what's going on around you. And He wants you to be willing to receive those Im impressions. Give you a, give you a wonderful story that took place at our healing prayer seminar this past fall. Uh, as we're learning how to do this, being taught how to do this, two people 
in our healing prayer seminar both simultaneously received an impression that there was somebody who had significant dental problems on their upper left jaw. They didn't know that about five minutes before that, somebody at the seminar came to me and said, I, I am, I'm in terrible pain. I feel like I'm having an abscess in my jaw. And so we prayed, but there was, there was, there was an action. I felt like I needed to tell this person, you need to call the dentist right now. I know it's Saturday, and they call that dentist right now. And through a series of circumstances, she was able to get her situation taken care of. And the dentist said, man, you know, really glad you took care of it when it did because it was really, really time sensitive. I'm just, I'm just saying God loves to work through impressions as a way to enhance ministry. And the God who lives everywhere at once wants to fellowship with you so that you receive nudgings and promptings and guidings and leadings, always consistent with God's word, always. When you receive a leading from God, if it's inconsistent with God's word, you disregard it right away. You, you know that's not from God. But he wants, you to, he wants you to move in a love relationship that makes you aware of leadings, guidings, promptings, and nudgings. So with that in mind... Let's look at some, at some takeaways um, for putting this into practice. Takeaway number one, understand the concept of thinking about your thinking. We have a wonderful dog named Sadie, and Sadie is wonderful in many ways, but Sadie can't do something that you can do. Sadie can't think about her thinking. Only human beings can do that. As a human being, you are able to, to kind of pull back and say to yourself, what am I thinking right now? Have you ever done that? You've been dealing with anxiety, and for five minutes you're catastrophizing what's about ready to happen. You think, wait, 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 what am I doing? What am I doing? Like, I'm totally catastrophizing this situation. I don't need to. You're thinking about your thinking. So it's important as you are looking around you and living in alert prayer to think about your thinking. What am I thinking about? What, is, what does God seem to be doing in this situation? What does God seem to be doing in the situation with my children or in my marriage or in my job. Get used to that practice of stepping back and thinking about your thinking. Now, second takeaway. Oh, here's a great verse for this. This is Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. You've experienced that. Your heart is like, okay, I got a lot of things happening inside. And sometimes you say, not even going to go there. Not even going to go there. Don't even want to know what's happening down deep. And what the writer of Proverbs says, no, it's really important that you learn to discern what's going on down deep. Because that's when you begin to understand what God is doing in your life. So then a second takeaway is um, when you, if you sense an impression from God, ask four questions. Question number one is, Lord, is this from you? Sometimes you won't know. Sometimes you, it, you think it might, but you don't know for sure. And then you say, Father, is this something that I need to primarily act on or pray about? Many times you, you're going to want to act, and God may say, no, let's pray, pray about this first. And then the third question is, Lord, is this something I need to test by sharing it with somebody else first? I'll tell you how to do that in a second. 
And then the fourth question is, Lord, what would you have me do right now? And see what God says. See, see how he might respond to you. So here, here's a simple rule of thumb for how you test a prophetic impression. The principle is this. The more radical the prophetic impression, the more you need to test it. Conversely, the less radical the prophetic impression, the less you need to test it. There's some people who, who get these ideas and they are pretty radical. I think about a guy that I really respect named Don Richardson, who went to what used to be called Irian Jaya in 1961 with his young, young wife and their eight-month-old son. And there's a picture of them paddling down the Cronkle River with intent to meet with a head-hunting and cannibalistic tribe. When you get an impression like that, you better test whether that's what God is asking you to do. It turned out great. Don Richardson's a big hero of mine because of, 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 what he, of what he did. So that leads us to the next takeaway. Be wise in how you share your impressions. I've heard some people you know, get impressions from God and, and, and they, they, they said, I got a word for you. God told me that this is going to happen, therefore you should do this. Wrong. You don't share it that way. Because what you want to do is be very humble with those impressions that you get. And then when you share those, you want to share those with enough humility so the person is able to receive it. You don't, you don't share it with it, thus says the Lord, blah, blah, blah. You don't do it that way. Because, because these are impressions that sometimes need to be extensively, extensively tested. And so you want to be humble in the way that you, that you communicate uh, those things. Um, let me, several, several uh, months ago, Cindy was in Seattle. I was in here in Bartlesville. I'm driving to Starbucks and I pull into the parking lot and I get a very strong impression to not go to Starbucks, but to go to Outpost Coffee downtown. I thought, really? Okay, what do I do with this? This is crazy. This is crazy. But I turned, went downtown, pulled into Starbucks, immediately saw somebody that I hadn't seen in a couple of years that I really wanted to connect with. And I said, God, thank you that you gave me a divine appointment in the moment that was really important for me. I, I really, really, Lord, appreciate that. Appreciate that. But, you know, I was pretty humble in receiving that because it seemed crazy to go from one place to another place. Like, like why? But God had, had something for it. And then the final takeaway is this. Don't be surprised if God gives you a certain pattern. I've just, this is not in the Bible, but I've just seen this with people where God seems to give people certain pattern for how they receive impressions from God. For me, my sweet spot is one-on-one -on -one with a friend, a small group, in a counseling situation, coaching situation, I find that God will spontaneously give me things that are immensely beneficial for the person that I share them with. I was on a Zoom conference call with somebody, and I had an impression about something, and I said, I said, I don't know if this fits for you, but let me tell you what I'm thinking. And I shared it, and, and you know, he's writing stuff down, you know. That's exactly what I needed to hear. That's my pattern. You may have a different pattern, but don't be surprised if God gives you a pattern as you, as you grow in this gift. Here's the big picture. The God who 
fills all of space with himself, loves you. He wants to fill you. And as he fills you, he wants you to be aware of what is going on around you. And he wants you to pray into that awareness so that you have ministry in a world that desperately needs those who are walking in a first love relationship with God. Let's stand for closing prayer.